This is a branded podcast from Postscript Studios. The landscape for peaker power plants in New York is changing. Over the next two years, dozens of aging oil and gas-fired plants will be phased out around New York City, thanks to stronger air quality rules and the state's climate law. It's aimed at you know, specific power plants in the New York City area primarily and allows us to think about, for those plants, what's the future really look like? That's Will Hazlip. He's the president of National Grid Ventures for the U.S. Northeast. New York State has 50 fossil-fueled peakers, most of which are clustered around urban areas. Under the rules, some of National Grid's peaking generation will shut down permanently, and some will steadily ramp down. Will's group focuses less on what would be lost, but rather what will be gained. It really opens up the door for repurposing, using the land for energy storage, so it could be battery energy storage, but also for connecting new renewables, so connecting you know, transmission for offshore wind. So they're really important pieces of the, of the current energy infrastructure, but they also will play an important role in, uh, in terms of hosting all those facilities in the future. The plan to overhaul these plants is part of National Grid's Northeast Clean Energy vision, which will create hubs of clean energy projects built with specific local needs in mind. The goal is to make communities the energy capitals of a decarbonized grid. So the first thing we're doing is thinking about, you know, what kind of technologies can we use at that site to maintain or even enhance, you know, the value that those sites provide to the local communities. That's what we think about every day, quite frankly. And the stakes couldn't be higher. So what will these hubs look like? In this episode, produced in partnership with National Grid Ventures, Will Hazlip outlines the high stakes for the utility and the communities it serves. Will talks with Stephen Lacey about clean energy projects underway, the technology trends guiding investments, and the plan to maximize local economic impact. In broad buckets, right, it's um, lots of renewable power generation. So uh, offshore wind uh, for the Northeast, 25, over 25 gigawatts uh, of offshore wind, uh, over 60 gigawatts of onshore wind and solar, 35 gigawatts of, of energy storage and dis- dispatchable emissions-free resources, and 20 gigawatts of transmission. So that's broadly. So what's it look like in terms of, of each region? Well, downstate New York is going to see a lot of offshore wind, right? So we're going to see probably six to 10 gigawatts of offshore wind connecting to Long Island over the next couple of decades. Uh, so Long Island's going to have a ton of offshore wind, and then they're going to need to be able to export that. So more transmission connections from Long Island to the rest of the state. Uh, also need local generation capability. So Long Island has a lot of local generating capacity today. Uh, they will continue to need uh, local generating capacity in the future. And then you kind of contrast that with, say, upstate New York. Upstate New York already has uh, a, a large number of clean energy resources, you know, from hydro uh, in particular, uh, some from nuclear, and, and then uh, also onshore wind and solar. So, you know, upstate New York will see uh, a lot more uh, solar uh, being built. You know, I think uh, energy storage will probably be a common element uh, throughout. Then when we think in terms of uh, clean fuel, you know, clean fuel will absolutely be necessary. And we'll see a lot of that production 
where the renewable resources are concentrated. So we think upstate New York is already uh, going to be home to the one of the first large-scale, clean, green hydrogen production facilities in the country. And that's because of the abundance of the, the clean energy in that area. So let's break down a few of these. Let's go to battery storage first. So what are you seeing in terms of cost and deployment trends in the short and medium duration battery space that will will make batteries an important part of some of these hubs? One of the great things about uh, batteries, lithium-ion in particular, is it's commercial, it's scalable. We deployed uh, a couple of large-scale 40-megawatt-hour each uh, battery systems on Long Island several years ago, and they operate well uh, and and operate like peak power plants. That's great. And we'll see a lot more, right? So New York has a six gigawatt goal. You know, our modeling suggests, you know, New York will need anywhere from 20 to to 40 gigawatts of of just basically four-hour duration batteries. I think we'll continue to see see deployment of of short and, and medium duration. It's really more about getting the the commercial framework, the regulatory framework, right to do that. Uh, we think it can play uh, play a role on the transmission system as well as look like an energy generation resource. You know, the, the price, obviously the cost of, of batteries has come down substantially over the last decade. That trend has stopped in the last uh, year or so, um, given supply chain challenges like we've seen in the macro economy generally. But uh, overall, we expect that to continue uh, over the long term and make it a, uh, an economic resource. And then things like the, the IRA are important, uh, important uh, to provide the investment tax credit for storage to make those even more economic. Tell me about what you're imagining for green hydrogen investments and what does it mean for your operating infrastructure? Yeah, great, great question. I, we've been doing a lot uh, around hydrogen the last few years you know, it looks like it'll be a great building block for clean fuels, right? So I think the, the question around hydrogen is timing, uh, timing to scale it in a commercial way. Uh, in terms of uses, you know, we certainly see hydrogen as a great fuel for uh, segments of transportation, so medium and heavy-duty transport uh, industry. Uh, but we also see uh, power generation applications, and so using hydrogen as an energy storage medium to be able to, to run power generation for longer periods of time than, than lithium-ion batteries, right? So multiple days uh, when the wind's not blowing, the sun's not shining, uh, we see hydrogen as a, as a viable alternative for that. And then also in some heating applications, right? So as these clean fuels are developed for other sectors of the economy, uh, that will become an economic, commercial, commercially viable, scaled resource that can be used uh, in heating applications where other options uh, don't work as well. So the development of offshore wind is picking up in the U.S. We are still very much in the early innings. How would you characterize where your offshore wind investments are right now? And what are we looking at for development timelines? So I'd say, you know, first, offshore wind, and, and one of the, the primary reasons why National Grid got involved in offshore wind is it will be the single largest source of clean energy for the Northeast U.S., uh, like it is for, um, you know, many parts of Europe. Uh, so it's, it's, it's an absolutely critical resource. 
Uh, in terms of development timelines, and, and I should say we're you know extremely uh, happy, proud to partner with RWE and secure a lease area in the New York Bite that can host over three gigawatts of capacity. And that joint venture is called Community Offshore Wind. Um, you know, in terms of development timelines, you know it it takes a long time uh, to put these projects together. And in the U.S., it's not just about you know developing a, an energy project; it's about developing the supply chain and the logistics infrastructure necessary. So, uh, we're planning to have our first phase of Community Offshore Wind online by uh, around 2030. Uh, so, about seven years from now. That's going as as quickly as we can uh, to get to get that online. Uh, so it takes some time, but you know it's great to see the opportunities that offshore wind uh, provides to the region, not just in terms of clean energy, but again in terms of uh, supply chain. So you know New York in particular uh, is really focused on bringing manufacturing of uh, of turbines. So our proposal included uh, working with GE to have a made-in-New-York turbine, right, uh, as well as, you know, secondary supply chain like steel, steel fabrication. Uh, and so we have a, a unique proposal uh, as part of our our submissions to New York to bring uh, secondary steel uh, into the state. And then jobs, right? So offshore wind produces quite a few jobs uh, through the supply chain, uh, through the, obviously, construction installation, but also in operation. And so it's something that has gotten our existing, our workforce and the existing conventional power plants excited. And a lot of this development is contingent on the ability to develop new transmission lines or upgrade existing transmission lines. How vital is transmission for some of these planned hubs? And, you know, what lessons have we learned about how best to develop transmission to make this as smooth as possible and get these hubs online as quickly as you can? So transmission is absolutely critical. If we connect using Long Island again as an example, it'll have more offshore wind than it needs uh, many, many times of the year. And so, you know, having that transmission connection to the rest of the state so you can move move the power from where uh, it's being uh, produced or injected in Long Island to where it's needed uh, in the rest of the state is absolutely critical. So to put it in, in numbers... We see about 20 gigawatts of additional transmission capacity, you know, through to 2050, both within and connecting New York to to other regions. If you didn't have that, you would need about 15 gigawatts of dispatchable emissions-free resources on Long Island. Now, there's only about five five gigawatts of uh, of generation capacity on Long Island today, so uh, you know, an additional 15 gigawatts would it, be uh, quite a bit. Um, so that transmission is is absolutely critical to ensure that we're, we're making the best use of the the energy resources and connecting those energy resources to to the demand so this transition to cleaner sources of power is becoming increasingly economically attractive and uh, the question is how do those economic benefits get transferred to to customers and to the lo- local community so how do you maximize that benefit I'll use an example with our community offshore wind uh, project connecting into Long Island. And I mentioned one of our our power plant locations uh, where we'll be placing uh, a lot of the, the infrastructure to connect the offshore wind farm. We, we placed those components very purposefully in order to ensure that the tax base 
that uh, that 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 will generate uh, goes to places where where it's needed, where the conventional generating assets, as they retire, would create a gap in in, in that local community funding source. And so we were very careful to place those those assets in those locations so that those communities will continue to have uh, a revenue source that really supports the, the, the local elementary school, middle school, high school in that area. The other is, is jobs. Uh, so when we think about our Port Jefferson power plant out on Long Island and being able to use that facility for hydrogen uh, and using hydrogen to fuel uh, future power generation, you know, it's a great way to, to retain jobs. Uh, that have been there for decades. Yeah, that, and that brings us to a question about transitioning the workforce. And so that means preserving jobs or giving the pe- giving workers an opportunity to transition to other projects. How do you think about that internally to make sure people have the skills and opportunities to come along with the transition? Yeah, I think um, the energy transition is just that. It's a transition. And so it will take some time. And we will need the infrastructure we have today uh, through that transition. Uh, so we focus a lot on understanding the timing uh, of the transition so that we can be as clear as possible about what the future looks like for the workers. And then we think about uh, what are the, the opportunities in the future um, and what skills and capabilities. So I mentioned uh, community offshore wind and uh, our existing workforce so I've been doing a lot of work to map, to understand, you know, what are the skills and capabilities, uh, technicians, mechanics, uh, welders, uh, et cetera, that will have a place just naturally uh, in the future. And then we think about what are some skills and capabilities that maybe we don't have in the existing workforce, like working offshore and, and uh, training programs to do that. So, you know, for us right now, it's about understanding what the future looks like so that we can do the mapping and the planning uh, and get folks trained uh, if that's necessary, or just identify the place that they'll be in the future. So you have this big puzzle in front of you, and each location you know, is, is kind of a separate puzzle piece. How, how are you putting them all together? What is your mindset as you start to solve this puzzle? The word that springs to mind is open, open mindset, right? So we've seen that it's absolutely critical to keep an open uh, open mind as we think through this, because again, not one size fits all. And quite frankly, there's still some unanswered questions. Uh, we know a lot of the, the the pieces of the puzzle today, and I've mentioned those in terms of offshore wind, uh, onshore solar, onshore wind, transmission, it's, uh, energy storage, et cetera. Uh, but there are other questions like uh, like clean fuels uh, that we haven't quite answered. So we have to we have to keep an open mind, and we also have to recognize that each area, each location is unique and there's you know unique needs and challenges so what's the right way to fit these different pieces together for that specific community uh, that also fits into the broader energy transition again that was will hazlip the president of national grid ventures for the u.s northeast if you want to learn more about national grid's efforts to build the clean energy capitals of tomorrow visit the link in the show notes. There you'll find details about offshore wind, batteries, renewables, and transmission. And you can read National Grid's plan to eliminate fossil fuels from its portfolio by 2050. 